Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Start Church. We hope you enjoy the upcoming podcast and hope this time is empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream God has put in your heart. The participants of this podcast are not attorneys, and this recording is not to be considered legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office where needed. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, we're so grateful that we've got a good friend of the house, a friend of Start Church in the podcast today. Peyton Jones is on the front lines of church planning. I love talking with this guy because I always get fired up about church planning. Uh, Peyton, I, I know you. I know you've been on staff with a mega church. You spent 12 years in evangelist in Europe. You've worked with New Breed Planting. You're planting, you're training pastors all over. We are so grateful you joined the conversation again with Start Church. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, man. Hey, it's good to be here. I love your guys' heart and uh, have actually been to your headquarters and uh, you treated me to a burrito and showed me where uh, Stranger Things was filmed. So that will live in my mind, you know, in immortality. Well, we put on the red carpet because you're here. Uh, (laughs) Hey, so Peyton, for people that don't know you, I know you are referred to as the church plant ninja. Uh, Why the ninja? Why is that important? Tell, just kind of give people an insight into who you are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I kind of believe that there's a difference between um, starting a church and planning a church. And, and so in one sense, you could do it like a business startup, or you could plant and you could sequentially plant like Paul did and move on. And of course that seeds multiplication. And I know with a name like start church, that doesn't mean that you're, you know, about starting one church, you can easily be about multiplication, but for me, I don't stay put. So I like to use the moniker that I'm a ninja. I, I steal out of darkness, obscurity. I strike fast and hard for the gospel. I raise up a team of leaders like Paul did. And I blow the heck out of Dodge and disappear back into the shadows. So I would be known as a sequential church planner. And, and it just sounds funner to tell people you're a ninja. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like a Ronin. I don't have one church that I stay glued to. It's all about movement for me, moving forward, moving the kingdom, advancing the gospel. And uh, so, yeah, if, if nobody knows who I am, and no kidding, Nathan, like literally I will go back to churches I planted and they will have no clue who I am unless somebody goes, oh, this is the guy that planted the church here. And to be honest, I yeah. love that. Yeah, sure. I'm Paul the Aged. I'm, I'm Peyton the Aged. All right. So, you know, when we're talking about church planning, you're saying sequentially. I love when you're really, uh, one thing I really like about you, Peyton, is you're always kind of rooting us back to the scriptures, saying this is how church plants were done. You also mentioned this, which I think is really important. You say you help establish churches, think like a church planter. How is that different? Well, you know, the, uh, the, the, I love the way that Exponential um, puts this. Um, Exponential talks about level five multiplication, and they talk about the difference between addition, growth by addition, and growth by multiplication. So as you know, uh, 90, uh, right now the the statistic is that uh, 93% of churches in America um, do not uh, multiply. And so they don't reproduce themselves. And so One of the things that is important to me is getting uh, established churches to think multiplication because church planners are all about risk. I mean, we we eat, breathe, and sleep risk. I mean, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing unless we were risking, which 
anything that involves risk involves fear, which involves faith, which yeah. requires the Holy Spirit. So yeah. I'm all in. Well, what I would love to do is take some of the churches that are a little more secure and say, hey, remember when you got in this ministry thing? Yeah. Wasn't it all about like going and conquering the world for the gospel and yeah. taking new ground? I know that sometimes you sit in your office and you're looking at your desk and you're looking at all your toys the church the church has and you're thinking, you know, this is cool, but this isn't what I got in this for. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten further and further away from the mission I set out on. And I think when churches make that shift, established churches, and I have great love for established churches, praise God for established churches. That's where church planners often come from sure. and come out of. But I love it when they go back to uh, their roots. And you can get a second wind, you know, as, a, as an established church leader and jump full back into risk again. That's awesome. You know, sound, you sound like Peter. He says, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Hey, remember, remember when? So Peyton, uh, I, I, as we talk with planter, as we talk with established pastors, they do lose a sense of risk many times because of the load that's on them, the responsibilities they've taken. I, I talked with a church planter a while ago, I should say a pastor who had planted the church 10 years prior. And he looked at me and he said, Nathan, you know what it's like to have 100 staff members? Like the pressure on me not to blow it on Sunday, the pressure on me not to say something too controversial, the pressure on me to make sure that all of these families are provided for is huge. And he sort of left it there and I could feel him in that tension. How can he get that back, that, that risk, that adventure in the gospel? Right. Well, one, one of the tensions that he's feeling is he feels that he's got consumers in front of him. And I know we always hear about that, but they, the answer to it really is to take those people and make them less focused on him, make them more focused on the mission. So, um, you know, I, I think if, if he could transform, imagine the difference he would feel if he had the ability to transform that room in front of him into missionaries where they're like, you know, you're just a quit, like, you're cool and everything, um, Mr. Leader Man, but you know, you're, you're really not as, as much as you think you are to us. Yeah. You equip us to do the works of the ministry, as it says in Ephesians 4. And hey, you know, we got bigger fish to fry right now than you blowing it on a Sunday. We're fully engaged in mission. And when that happens, when people get fully engaged in mission, I had written a book called Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art. And, and it's really about mobilizing your congregation. That to me is my passion because when I see church planning on the ground, it has become so less about me, Nathan. Yeah. Um, uh, really, uh, when I get in there because I'm, I'm getting in and I'm getting out, my thing first off is I'm looking at everyone who comes through those doors. It doesn't matter. When someone comes to faith on a baptism, I immediately picture them as a future church planner. Wow, so and good. all of my discipleship um, process from then on is how do I like, I literally, this isn't lip service. Everybody in my church plants, I, I know they're eventually going to be a part of a church plant. Mm-hmm. Um, in some way, they're either going to stay there as that church's DNA is hardwired to mission, or they're going to be a part of a future team. They may not be leading a future team, but I train the leaders that I establish to train missionaries. Yeah. Once you do that, that changes the game. Man, you hit the nail on the head. You said they're looking at consumers because they're looking at consumers. They're afraid of what they're giving won't be palatable to the consumer. And so that's the tension they're feeling. How do you know? Where does that begin to deviate? Because it's not like that in the beginning, right? Where does that begin to deviate? For well, 
I think planners get themselves into trouble from the beginning. I actually, and I, I agree. I think that, that in the very beginning, it is mission, but there's always this temptation that a church planner has to start. Okay. Imagine things are real small, right? Um, you, you've got 25, 30, maybe 40, maybe 50. Maybe you have 75 people on your core team. Maybe you have a hundred. Maybe the mothership sent you over 200. Either way, you're still afraid to lose people at an early stage because yeah. this is something weird that we do in American culture. We validate ourselves with numbers, mm -hmm. right? That is the scorecard. So, so what will happen immediately is the pastor or leader themselves, the planner themselves shoots themselves in the foot by not allowing, by allowing the numbers to turn them on a little yeah. bit too much. I, I think it's self-inflicted personally. So, so just to let you know, like yeah. um, recently um, somebody mentioned that I have this process in all my church plants. Um, it, it's, it's called the eat my flesh and drink my blood speech. Um, Jesus had it. He had a speech handy that he was able to turn off a crowd of 5,000 who were like, we will follow you anywhere. You have given us bread. We're ready to die with you. And Jesus said, okay, well, great. You know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he sends them home. And you see this in the scripture over and over. Gideon has an army. God sends yeah. most of them home. Yeah. And, and I, I think planners have to be willing to say it's about quality and not quantity. Because wow. that initial team yeah. is going to set the trajectory for the rest of the church's lifespan. Because it's called DNA. The yeah. DNA can be wrecked very shortly. I mean, it doesn't take long for the herd mentality to set in. And so I actually believe if you disciple a smaller group well, and you disciple them for multiplication, you may have a slower growth in initially because you're really going after lost people, but your DNA will be incredible and it will be hardwired for multiplication. But you have to fight that. Yeah, I think defining your scorecard, I love that term there. Sean Lovejoy wrote a book when I was uh, planting that I read about uh, redefining success. I thought it was such a great resource. Um, He's a good resource. Sean yeah. Lovejoy has so many, the seasons of a leader's life, like that dude has amazing things to say. Well, when you get around Sean, he gives you permission to redo the scorecard, your kind of terms yeah. there. I think that's so critical. Uh, how can they define, let's just peek into the heart of those that are listening to this podcast or thinking about planting. How, what are questions maybe? What would you do for them to kind of put a dipstick into their heart and say, here's where my scorecard might be off a little bit? Yeah. So sorry, I keep flogging my, my, my things here, but Church Zero was a book I wrote about um, team planting. Mm -hmm. So when I look at a scorecard, I'm always going to go back to APEST. And I'm going to look at apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherd, and teacher. To me, there's so much in that. So when I look at success, I'm seeing apostolically, um, I, I have to see success in those five categories. Yeah. Apostolically, is my church being mobilized? Right. That's what apostles do. Mobilize right. every believer in their gifts. Um, is are, are we taking new ground? Are we advancing the kingdom of God? That's success to me. On the prophetic level, if I feel that the, the, the presence of God, that, that passage always gets me as the one where Paul says in Corinthians that the non-believer steps into your, into your church gathering and experiences the presence of God. Great fear seizes him. And he says, surely God's in this place among right. you. Yeah. Um, 
to me. So I want to know when I'm planting a church, successes was the presence of God here and not an emotional experience whipped up by light machines and fog machines and, you know, um, singing a chorus over and over and swaying to the music. I mean, was there an unmistakable presence of yeah. God, right? Like Alpha says, it's designed to fail unless God turns up. Right. That's how all my church plants feel. Yeah. Number three. And I, I got to be I'm using fingers and that's always the middle finger. Um, I think of these apes as a fist. Right. Yeah. Each each finger, the prophet points to God. The apostle holds the team together. The middle finger brings the offense of the gospel. That's your evangelist. Yeah. Um, is the gospel romancing my entire congregation? Okay. Do people know the gospel? Yeah. Are the lost being compelled to come in? Because like the apostolic compels the saved to go out right? Yeah. He's the mobilizer. The evangelist compels the lost to come in. So is that happening? The shepherd, um, that's the part that I'm, I'm hardwired apostolically. So I suck at this. My biggest blind spot is shepherding. Yeah. I can't shepherd to save my life, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm terrible. So I need a shepherd there who's bringing a sense of community and, and discipleship. That's what shepherds do. I'd say the missional movement wasn't apostolic. The missional movement was a shepherding movement. Right. And then lastly, you've got the teaching um, function of the church. Um, are my people going deeper into an understanding of scripture, of the word of God? Are they getting what Alan Hirsch calls the, the ancient timeless wisdom that comes from the scripture? Um, to me, that's what success looks like. I've got to look at it in those five categories. Yeah, that's so good. Again, I, kind of the way my brain works, diagnosing what's going on in my group. Yeah, I think you just labeled five things, obviously five functions and also outworkings that I think a planter could probably look at their current ministry or their launch team and say, where are we strong? Where are we weak? You know, where do we need uh, balance? Where do we need to uh, focus? So that's, that's really good. And I love what you're saying about it you know, getting this right from the very beginning, you had mentioned slower. I think there's so much talk about pace when it comes to church planting um, that we miss uh, depth, you know, that we miss preparedness. You know, I just want to get to X number fastest because it will be self-sustaining. Uh, but really, if eternity is pressing on your heart and you want to get it right from the beginning, you know, get that balance in there. Yeah. Let, let me shift gears a little bit, Peyton, because um, as of this recording, it's June 12th, and we have had quite a year, right? We have been working through massive seismic shifts in our country. We've been dealing with COVID. We've been dealing with racial injustice coming to the forefront yet again in our country. Um, how do you lead differently? You're talking to your church planners now and to the church planners on our podcast. How do they need to be leading differently in these times? Well, you know, I appreciate the fact that you had me on and you and I were talking, we're friends. And I, I was saying, you know, now keep in mind, I'm going to say things that, that maybe aren't what people want to hear. And you said, no, I, I know who you are. I, I know who I asked. Right. And, you know, uh, the thing is, is I, I want to encourage leaders right now. I love you guys. Like I really do. I, I don't want to add any more pain to, to what you're already experiencing. But when I watch this happen, um, keep in mind, I was a missionary in Europe for 12 years. So to us over there, what, what we experienced here, we're like, no one was coming to church that, you know, COVID-19, that's just Britain all the time. Right. I mean, that that's, you know, yeah. Wales where I was, um, for 12 years, um, 1% of the population goes to, uh, church. So, um, you know, to me, it was like, yeah, I, I, 
but what I heard us celebrating was that money came in because we were online and more viewers. Well, these were the wrong metrics. Always money, you know, bucks and butts. Mm-hmm. We always as church planners here, and, and that's what was being said. Well, look, we didn't lose out on anything, you know. Um, we can do this all online. Well, here's the problem. And I argue in Church Zero about face-to-face ministry, interactive face-to-face ministry, which a first century had, and we've lost. But what what we're celebrating is something that it's kind of like the the what what's going to be taken from us fastest yeah because it doesn't have roots right like when jesus says it springs up quickly and then the sun comes and it it bakes it away that's what this is it's a flash in the pan it's going to quickly be over because churches that are opening are seeing far fewer numbers than what they expected and i i predicted this on the church planner podcast by just saying look um here's the deal what's happened is people have suddenly discovered you online, you put yourself online, but now they've realized, and we didn't want them to realize that they don't need to come. That was what we reinforced rather than going, Hey, everybody, nothing's changed because we wanted people to stay connected. We tried to comfort them by telling them, Hey, this is great. Look, we didn't lose anything. Our message should have been, Hey guys, this is terrible. I mean, this is the best of the worst, but guys, what we've lost is face to face being able to minister to one another. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, Nathan. We don't do those things in church on Sunday. What we actually do on Sunday is just really a live version of what we're doing online. And that's the problem. Once people have now tasted that there is no difference between online and coming in person, many of them are not coming back in person. And so in Church Zero, what I argue is what we learned in Europe was people want to talk and interact. So rather than sitting in rows, we sit in small groups in church. Um, And it's funny because I mentioned Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus breaks them up into groups of 50 and 100. He puts them in small groups. So here's this big public gathering. This is what we did um, because we started a church out of a Starbucks. And it just, it had explosive growth. Yeah. And, and we found we were doing this interaction. People in these small groups, they would, I would preach, you know, we'd have worship, mm-hmm. but there'd be horseshoes facing the front. Then people would uh, have discussion, maybe a discussion question before the sermon, tease it out. Yeah. Then two, three afterwards, service went longer. We didn't make it shorter. We added 30 minutes to it. Yeah. But people were coming to faith in those groups because they got to, to talk, right? We know John's gospel conversations equal conversions. So there we are, you know, John's gospel is a bunch of conversations with Jesus. That's why it's so evangelistic. But now people in in these groups, Sunday is mission. Like it's, you are not mobilizing to go on mission outside. Sunday's now become mission. You're leading people to Jesus in your small groups. Plus you're laying hands on people. You're using the gifts. How often does that happen in church, right? We're not just swinging to a sing song about Jesus. And we're not just listening to a a cleverly crafted homily that makes us chuckle. and maybe think every once in a while, sorry, that's a little harsh, but, but what I'm saying is people's gifts are activated. This is body ministry and it transformed people. As I said before, from consumers to missionaries, that was the hard wiring. And what I think we need to do during COVID-19 is return back to that back to the first century where they ate meals together. They interacted. If you could offer something different that you can only do, right? Like you didn't date your wife on zoom. You know, you didn't date her on the phone. You took her out to dinner. 
Why aren't we taking the Lord's Supper? Why aren't we having it? Why aren't we doing things that we can only do face to face? Like when Paul writes to the Corinthians, I'll shut up in a second here. I'm on a roll. But when Paul says, hey, uh, I long to see you face to face that I might inspire impart some spiritual gift to you. And, and that word gift, don't freak out like he's, you know, listeners, he's not getting all weird. What he, the word there is grace, that I might impart some spiritual grace. But there's something about incarnational ministry face to face. That's not the message we've given because that is the principle we have lost and it needs to be recovered. Yeah, you're 100% right. I love that. And you know, I'm going to take that, uh, I'm going to scope out a little bit. I think this I think this could have significant ramifications on the next generation. Uh, I think young people are looking now and saying, if I can get the exact same experience through a two-dimensional screen as I can in my church, something's missing, right? It's not exciting. I don't care, you know, the lights or the moving or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, The term I've used, and it could be my business background, is transactional. There's not a transactional component. Love that. You've got, I'm writing that down to steal that from me. You've got a grace that I'm walking in to our gathering and I'm struggling and my marriage is struggling. My kids are struggling and I need the grace that's on your life. There needs to be a transactional time. Hey, call for the elders of the church. Uh, have your brothers pray for you. You know, pray for one another that you might be healed. That transactional moment is missing. Yeah. I think, and I, and I feel it. I feel it in my own personal life that I need the well of of intentional, as you said, incarnational ministry together. I think that's huge. Um, How do you, let's talk about this because they're scrambling, right? Pastors rightly so are scrambling. I know some guys that launched the week before everybody can't go to their schools, right? They're they're scrambling to figure out. Here's a question. How do you encourage the listeners to stay spiritually and maybe even mentally, physically buoyant during these times? I sit on a couple boards. I've been talking with some of the pastors this week, and the term they use over and over is I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm just tired. Yeah. But the race isn't over. Talk to us about being buoyant through crisis. You know, I think that we're, um, we're over, overwhelmed um, with online content, mm-hmm. and that adds to the fatigue. So the Zoom fatigue is not just from Zoom. The Zoom fatigue is from all digital media. Yeah, um, including yeah. the videos we're watching on Facebook, um, YouTube, we're, we're right now because we're isolated, there's been a spike and there, there's research done to demonstrate that um, too much digital input on the human brain actually changes, um, just like pornography changes, um, you know, the neural pathways, right. that it's rewiring your brain. And, and so what I've done is I, I still am connected, but I'm on very little at the moment, because um, the more you're online, it's it's a perfect storm. It it is, yeah. and we see it right now acting out in America. At the time that we're talking, there's riots. Um, this hardwiring of the brain um, it it leads to tempers. It leads to. I mean, there's a lot of research, and so what I'm seeing right now is the first thing I would say is you've. It's what we always tell people: the first thing you've got to do is cut something out yeah. to add something else in. You're yeah. not, you, you've got to replace your digital intake with spiritual intake. You can't do both on yeah. the same, you know, and I, and I find it so easy right now to be sucked into digital intake. And so I'm looking at like my screen time on my phone and, and thankfully it's been down. It's refreshing. I'm looking going, Oh wow, that's a lot yes. less than usual. Yeah. Um, and that's good. And I needed that. 
right? That's how I'm surviving right now. If I am reading the news or the media, um, I'm praying through it. So if I'm watching the riots and the looting, um, I'm praying. And and what's coming out of that is, I mean, I hate to use a a metaphysical, um, it feels like revelation, like I'm seeing things I wouldn't normally see. So I'm watching these young disaffected people looting and rioting. And I'm going, you know, there's something in them that's the kingdom of God. They're crying out for justice. Mm -hmm. And that's the image of God in them that knows that there is cosmic justice. Um, But at the same time, they're also uh, in a place where they have got to connect the craving for justice with kingdom and they can't bring the kingdom about. So I think just giving yourself the balance. um, I think everything's about balance. I think you know, you mentioned like physical, like the endorphins. Remember, I'm an RN. That's my background. So, um, so I kind of tend to think of us as biopsychosocial spiritual beings. All these things kind of meld together and you get a holisticness out of that. And I think that's something that the, the Hebrews were really good about. They were holistic. They understood that all these things are interconnected. Right. Um, you know, to the, you know, Proverbs, they don't, they don't see work and spirituality as separate. They see this together. Sure. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's the kind of thing. And I think we're also talking about just how, when I'm looking at the writers and the looters and stuff, I'm seeing, um, you know, I'm praying that this generation that's so disaffected and lost and doesn't seem to understand uh, what to do with all this anger? You know, I'm I'm seeing a generation decades ago that was that way, and then the Jesus movement comes out of that, and yeah. that's been my prayer. So good. Well, we, you know, and it is. I love that you said looking at it through the lens. Basically, you're talking about looking through the lens of the gospel. What's God doing through and in? You know, there's a spiritual maturity you need sometimes to be able to see stuff. You can only sometimes see the outside and not see really what's happening. Yes, the Lord. What's that about? And he gives you a greater insight into what's going on with people. Um, I want to just ask a few more questions in our, in our last few moments here. First off, um, training. I know you've been training church planters, and I love it. I mean, it's one of my favorite things is don't just lean yourself into the edges of your city and plant a church. Get somebody as a voice in your life to help train. What are you doing right now uh, as, a, as a trainer of the next generation of church planters? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that, that's kind of what I, uh, it's my passion. It's my nerd hobby, right? Like, I mean, for some guys it's video games and those are great. No, I, I do play those, but the, the reality is that, um, my nerd hobby on the side is building training. And so I was an early adopter in one of the particular platforms. Um, so I can make unlimited courses and I do that for fun. Like no joke, I'll build stuff that nobody ever sees, but I build it for fun because I love doing that. And I had the opportunity to train with a guy named Mac Lake, who's just a a legend, probably the best trainer in America. He was just on our podcast a few weeks ago. Oh, then you know, all of you who have listened, if you didn't hear that, go listen. That guy's he's one of my heroes. Like I still call him my mentor. We haven't worked together for years, but I love that dude. And, and, and the great thing is that, you know, for, for what he brings to the table for training is this highly interactive, I mean, I've never seen anything like it, Um, but I've been able to use that towards church planner training. And of course, the way that I train, I've got something called jump school, which is core team training Um, that, you know, you can find everything I do over at ministryninja.com or newbreednetwork.org, which is the, the network training network I'm a part of. But 
you know, the, the, the one that I've been building that's running this fall is a citywide network training. So imagine you've got 15 planners. We ran this in San Diego a few years ago and prototyped it. And all these, we had 15 planners come from four different counties because it was free at the time, you know, we were prototyping. And rather than shooting 15 planners out in 15 different directions, what we do is we'll build three to five teams, hardwire them for multiplication, like what we talked about. And then boom, there. So a guy who goes through assessment today, he might get a green light, a yellow light, a red light. Well, he may not be ready to plant now, but, but rather than tell him to go back to his home church or his spending church and do more of the same, send him out with a planner, have him intern with one of the green lighters. Okay. And so in its team, because everything to me is a pest, it's, yeah. it's based on an a pest team planting model. So that's called citywide. And like I said, you can find that at ministry ninja, you can find it at newbreednetwork.org. And that literally is something we train you how to run a network uh, church planner training. So a church, a smaller church, that maybe doesn't have the resource to send out, yeah. but wants to be a part they can all band together and be a part of it. It's pretty cool. So good. I think, you know, so oftentimes guys are trying to build without blueprints and what they really need is a tribe and a mentor and somebody to kind of coach them through. Yeah. Uh, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's exactly, you know, it's funny because I started this thing a few years ago where uh, Pete Mitchell and I were training bivocational planners. So I was bivocational for 17 years. And so, uh, we were training them how to, how to, you know, make money and plant. And what came out of that was this tribe that we, we accidentally started a network. Sure. And to this day, these guys are still tight. They've got the Voxer app there. And, and I realized something then we would ask them, what do you, what else can we do for you? How can we serve yeah. you? And they're like, I, I've never had anything like that. It was, it was, there's resources and then there's relationships and yep. those relationships, like you said, because new breed network is an apostolic network. I train apostolic leaders there. Um, that is literally most of those guys, everybody tells them they're nuts. And when you get a bunch of apostolics together, they get each other. They yeah. understand one another. They don't misread each other. And that, that alone is worth its weight in gold to a planner. Yeah. Somebody who gets your heart. You know, get your just church planners in general. We, we look at things differently. It's like we know the secret handshake. You get me. I get. You I do, get what yeah. you're saying. I get how you're how you're thinking. I get what you think when you walk into a building and go, "Wait a second, I, I know what I would do." You know those kind of things. Um, That's so true. Um, it's funny because on on the podcast that I run, we always joke around. We make this joke. It's probably not very kind, but we always say things like. Yeah, if you didn't get that joke, you're a pastor. You're not a church planner. You yeah. know, there's just a different, even a different sense of humor, yeah. a different, you know, kind of pathos and ethos. Yeah, that's right. Um, what are two, one or two questions pastors should be asking themselves right now? What, what do they need to be finding out about themselves leading through a season of crisis? So it, it's so much of it goes back to uh, what we kind of, I mean, if it's almost the summary of our entire conversation is what does success look like for you? And, and what's your vision? What's your strategy? What, yeah. what do you actually want to see going forward? Um, if, if what you're building is a church or a congregation, um, that's fine. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it's not, it wasn't Acts 1-8. It, you know, it's not the ends of the earth. If your church is 
not a part of multiplication. It's kind of like that. If you ever saw that movie, Ronin, Robert De Niro makes a statement in there. He says, you're either part of the problem, you're part of the solution, or you're part of the landscape. So, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. I don't want to be a part of the problem and I don't want to be a part of the landscape. And I would say there's many churches out there that are part of the problem and part of the landscape because they're not thinking after God's heart for what he wants for the church, which is multiplication. Yeah. I think it's so important. Uh, My last question, let's play a little game. What we need right now is a church has to step into many of the voids, the cultural voids that are in our country, the cultural cracks that there's a massive need for the gospel. Uh, I'm going to give every church in America a billboard. What do you hope they put on it? What's the messaging you hope the church is saying to the world? Mm. You know, I was talking not, not long before this with um, one of the leaders over at Alpha. And um, of course, you, you may or may not know, but right now I work with Exponential and um, we're looking at our 2021 theme, which is empowered, mm-hmm. which is a passion of mine anyways. But um, when I was talking with them, they, they, they were mentioning a book that they were working on, which was for people outside of the church who don't know God. And the, one of the first chapters is um, it tells them you're not alone. You have a guide. In other words, it, it kind of like Cornelius, wherever you are, if you reached out to him, he's there. And I think that needs to be the number one message is what we often do is we're like, Hey, come to the church, um, find God here at church. And of course, when I was a missionary, God ripped that inside out. He ripped me inside out, but I'll never forget when I had the epiphany of walking into a house, this lady was a 12 year recluse. Um, she was an alcoholic. She had read the Al-Anon handbook for 12 years didn't know anything about Jesus. She had been orphaned from Ghana, West Africa, when her father had come to London to get surgery. And he had a stroke um, and was rendered incommunicative and was placed in care there. And she, therefore, was turned over to a foster care agency in Brixton, a very rough place. So she grew up without any knowledge of anything to do with spiritual things. But she had this. And I'll never forget walking into her house And there was like this wall of God that I walked through, like so powerful. And I just remember being almost scandalized, like, but I bring this, like I'm the missionary. I bring this. I I, I couldn't figure out like, why is God's presence so strong in this room? And I didn't understand at the time. I understand it now. And that is that the church is the church, but the kingdom of God is much bigger and it's advancing beyond us. God is out there working today far beyond what we currently know or think. And so if I were to say, what's my, my advice, it's open your eyes to what he's already doing. I've never read Henry Blackaby's book, but every time I said that, people are like, oh, uh, the Henry Blackaby stuff. So uh, I, I don't know that stuff, but I think he's right. Whatever he wrote in that book, um, Experiencing God, I think he's on to something. <laughs> well, Peyton, we appreciate you being on the podcast today. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, some people are listening to this and saying, I need to talk to that guy. I need to get some of his resources. Where can they go to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, ministryninja.com would be uh, the website where almost everything I do uh, or, or, or do poorly, poorly done, is there. And uh, newbreednetwork.org uh, is also another place. 
And uh, if you're hearing this and you, you want to shoot me an email, um, probably the easiest one to give you is Peyton at exponential.org. And uh, you can reach me there too. Well, we're appreciative for you being with us. It's always good. You are a friend of Star Church and church planners all over. And we're, uh, we're honored to have you on the podcast today. Good to be here, man. It was an honor. And I love you guys. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Star Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.